it is like death, if not worse, because it's death, but people are still walking around, right? And we were just like, yeah, everybody gets divorced. It still wrecks souls, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's somebody just dropped a cinder block in your backpack. And then sexual abuse and physical abuse, someone's just putting bricks in your backpack, right? And then you did stupid crap as a 14-year-old. If you can imagine that as a brick that you write on and you put it back there, the sooner you can come to a the place where you can put your backpack down and start pulling those old bricks out and being like, yeah, I did that. I said that. I thought that was funny back then, et cetera. And I can put it down. Man, it just lightens your load walking forward, right? I'm Doug Bobst, personal trainer, best-selling author, and entrepreneur, and I'm on a mission to help others become the best version of themselves. So I'd like to welcome you to the Adversity Advantage Podcast, where we will help you use obstacles, failures, and setbacks to give you that edge needed for success. I'll be interviewing people from all walks of life on how they overcame trials and turned them into triumphs. So please, sit back, relax, and get ready to be absolutely blown away by some of the wisdom and stories you're about to hear. Welcome back to another episode of the Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bobst, and today I have the one and only Dr. John Deloney, who is a leading voice on relationships and emotional wellness. Uh, Many of you may recognize him as the newest Ramsey personality, and prior to that, John worked for two decades in crisis response and as a senior leader at multiple universities. He holds two PhDs, one in counseling and the other in higher education. John, thanks so much for coming on. What's up, man? How we doing? Good. Do you prefer John or Dr. John? No, dude. My mom named me John. That one's one's the best. That (laughs) one's the best, dude. Yeah, man. And... um. So what I wanted to ask first, I guess, to let the audience know, because you are the newest Ramsey personality, and I always try to ask, you know, each person I've had on from Ramsey, like kind of, kind of how they met, you know, Big Papa Dave. So, <laughs> what's your what's your journey behind that? I know you're from Texas originally. Um, yeah. how, how'd you meet uh, Mr. Ramsey? Dude, it was a happen chance. I left Texas. I lived in Texas every day of my life, working at colleges and universities. Um, I was a high school teacher for a minute, and then I took a job at a university out here in Nashville. And, uh, Dave has, you know, his senior leadership team that they're a tight group. And I gave a talk to a group of parents and students and his executive vice president was in the audience dropping their daughter off at the school. And they knew they were looking for additional people. And she just said, that's the guy. And so I didn't know I was at the internet recruiting phase at that point. And so I gave some talks here at Ramsey, just as a, as a college administrator, that's what you do is you go around and get connected to your community. And so I didn't realize they were doing some scouting at the time. And so I, dude, I, I just got, I didn't even know this was a job. I had no idea. I, I just joined Instagram like a few months ago. I didn't have any social media or anything like that. And so this is all new to me, man. We're figuring out as we go. Yeah, man. And I think it's, it's awesome to see kind of things just happen, you know, and it's like divine intervention sometimes how things kind of just fall into place when they're meant to. And, you know, I'm sure that there was probably a lot of fear, right? Stepping into a role like this, you know, it's kind of can be challenging and intimidating. And you and I were on the phone earlier today and we were talking about just fear and the fear response. And it's like fear is almost the anticipation of something bad happening, right? Or something along those lines. So talk a bit about kind of fear in the mind and you know, what happens and how to kind of combat that. Yeah. I, I, to go back to your first question, it's almost been on, I don't know enough to know to have been scared. Right. And so I didn't, I knew Dave Ramsey, like we did the program and my wife and I went through the debt-free program and all that. I had no idea that 17 million people listened to it. Like, so I so out (laughs) of the ecosystem, I didn't know enough to know that I should have been terrified just waltzing into the radio show and 
Um, and so I think in many ways that's served me well and other ways I wish I could go back and do a few of the early shows better. Right? I just was unprepared. When it comes to fear, I think what served me well is understanding that my brain, every cell in my body has one job and that's to get to tomorrow and to get to tomorrow and then to get to the next day and the next day. And its job is not to make me popular. Its job is not to do anything other than scan the environment 24-7 for things that may take me out. And so I need to always be remembering that the fear scan, the fear monitor that's going on everywhere is um, always cooking, always running, and always sending me information. And that if I let that guide my day, if I don't actively seek to, to get other inputs... Um, or put that in its rightful place, then man, it can take over everything. Then it'll kill me, man. It'll just lead to chronic stress and isolation. It'll kill me either short, either right away or over time. Yeah. I mean, you're right. And I think, you know, some stress obviously is good for the body, but chronic stress is, you know, is very detrimental. And you and I were talking and you kind of wanted to you know, test your hypothesis, I guess, on me and my journey. You know, we were talking a bit, you know, earlier about how fear nearly killed me and I self-medicated a lot with painkillers, with three, 400 milligrams a day going up my nose because I was scared of, of who I was. I was scared of where my life was going to be. I was scared of the choices that I was making on a daily basis. So, you know, do you think for me, do you think there was anything I could have done differently in that moment to mm. combat the fear? Or maybe it was like a, pro- a process that you, you know, help people with? Like, what do you think could have been done in that moment for me. So I would actually step back. And so I don't know anything about your story. And so you can be like, nah, dude, that's ridiculous. And so I'm interested to see how this plays out. So my guess, not my guess, but here, here's a couple of thoughts. I think that we unfairly pigeonhole addiction into the few things that get us in trouble. All right. Whether it's sex addiction, drugs, spending, or whatever. I love a, a broader picture of what addiction looks like. Um, and I, I got it from Terrence Real, who I think is one of the most brilliant minds out right now. But it's the idea that any sort of running or compressing behavior or hiding behavior, whether it's working 90 hours a week at a law firm and they pay you a million bucks, that's addiction, right? Or it is television or it is hunting or it is putting you know 400 milligrams of hydrocodone up your nose. It's all the same thing. It just manifests itself differently. And so then I always want to know what's beneath that. And so mm-hmm. the, two, the two things over my career I've seen it distill down to is some sort of trauma, which can be acute or neglect, right? Um, either you watch some stuff happen or you experience some stuff or you didn't get the connection that you needed. And that brings me to the second thing, which is addiction, anxiety, ADHD. All those things are disorders of disconnection, which says I don't have a series of relationships that I can be vulnerable in and be fully known. And so then I, your brain sounds the alarms and then you're off to the races trying to cover up and whack-a-mole those feelings and thoughts and biochemistry responses. Is that fair? That's fair. And it's pretty spot on, actually. I did have a lot of trauma. <laughs> <laughs> now that you had trauma, but that I'm not an idiot. So, okay. Good. No, no, no. Yeah. And I love that we're doing it this way because I've never actually done this on the show or you've actually like having a, an actual conversation about my own journey, right? And you're kind of giving me feedback. And... You know, my parents got divorced when I was five. I suffered pretty much every type of abuse there is um, throughout the course of my life, sexual, physical, emotional, psychological, mental. I was bullied in school, right? Yep. So I had all of that. And then I was, 
also the kid who loved sports. Like I was the guy who was always watching Sports Center, collecting baseball cards. But the problem was I was the most unathletic, uncoordinated, ungifted athlete mm. there was. Always picked last, always trying to fit in in the places where at the time I, I, I couldn't. And so that creates a ton of disconnection, not just from people around me, but from myself where I didn't really know who I was. So trying to hide behind that led into a ton of anxiety, a ton of panic where I couldn't even stand who I was when I looked in the mirror and I wanted to just numb the pain as fast as I could. And so that's why I started using drugs. Started with smoking pot, pot led to cocaine, cocaine and anxiety go together about as well as someone wanting to Brothers lose weight as, yeah, yeah, yeah. As, as someone who wants to lose weight and eating pizza, right? They don't go together at all. So I was like, all right, well, how can I numb myself like crazy? Let's do painkillers. Yeah. And it just, it snowballed from there, man. Gotcha. And so my guess would be, again, having never met you before, if you, you experienced divorce at the age of five, right. there was some sort of what I would call cage rattling going on emotionally in your parents' house before age five, mm. that as a kid, um, when kids feel dysfunction and they are not connected and they feel the people in the world not connected, what they do, um, I like to say, in absence of data, we make up stories. And a five-year-old can't process data, right? So a five-year-old looks and feels this and he says, somehow this is my fault. Mm. And it doesn't doesn't matter. Same thing with abuse and uh, that, that sort of trauma. That's the evil of trauma is that it severs our ability to make connections because the brain catches fear, right? And it says, that will never happen again. And that happens because somebody I loved or somebody I know hurt me. And so that will never happen again. And it heads off to the woods and the rest of your body that's so dependent on relationships starts just spinning and spinning and spinning, right? And so until you deal with those old traumas and you heal the ability to reconnect, man, you just, yeah, it's off to the races, man. You're so right. And it, even in my own experience, just because I think about looking back, like it was like always like, well, what's wrong with me? Why am I different? Mm. Like, what did I do to cause this? Because back then the divorce rate wasn't nearly what it is now. I mean, we're talking almost 33. Yep. This was 27 years ago. I mean, right. right. So like most of the people I knew in my life, their parents were together. I mean, I didn't, they didn't have the, the split home like I grew up in. So that was part of it was the shame was like, okay, like what's wrong with me? Because we, we sometimes bind and create connections through trauma to other people that are going through the same thing. You look at like the addiction community when people are recovering from addiction. That's why these, you know, things like AA and NA and recovery support groups are so popular because it's connection, man, it's yeah. connection, right? Yep. So how, how does one, I mean, like how could I have, I guess, handled and change this fear cycle in my brain, the trauma, like to unpack that, like how could I have done it differently so I didn't like go to drugs? Or how can anybody, so is anybody, so yeah. my point is if anybody's listening, right, and they might be in a similar spot where they're uncomfortable with, them, with themselves, they're disconnected, they got all this trauma, they have all these memories in their mind, and their first inclination is like, how can I numb the pain as fast as possible? And what you're saying is there's some steps where you don't necessarily have to go that route if, if possible. Yeah. And I, I think the a couple of things here. Number one, you asked what I would suggest is the demon that haunts every survivor of any sort of trauma. Um, and I think trauma, we tend to think in car wrecks and sexual abuse and big, crazy things. Trauma is also cumulative. And mm -hmm. so it can be a giant, you get hit in the head with a cinder block, 
or it can be someone throwing a pebble at you every day for 30 years. Over time, that weight of those rocks is the same, right? And so it can be a season of being pick last and the athletes are winning, right? And so you asked, I think the question that haunts everybody who experiences trauma, myself included, is what should I have done? And what I would tell everybody is that five-year-old kids should do nothing but be five. And a lot of us are still walking around with a five-year-old wonder, inside of us wondering, what should I have done? And dude, I want to take that kid and hug him. And that's what they should have done. They should have hugged and they should have played with their trucks and they should have had a mom and a dad that loved them. Um, they should have had a community of people that loved them. And so they shouldn't have done anything. They shouldn't have been hurt is the deal, right? And so um, that's, that's answer number one. And most of the time in a therapeutic context, when as soon as somebody can free themselves from that seven-year-old that's still trying to protect them, still in there fishing for what they screwed up, man, you're talking like the backpack shame full of bricks just comes off, right? The second thing you asked is, what do you do when you find yourself at 33 or 22 or 25? And I think it's a roulette wheel. And um, I, I uh, stole this from Brene Brown, but she says, um, uh, genetics slows the gun and environment pulls the trigger. So every, all of us have different tendencies. We lean different ways, right? For me, it was hitting the gym. For me, it was, I'm going to show everyone that I'm lovable by getting a bunch of academic credentials and moving up ladders at a real young age. Other people try to find false connection through addiction. So I think it's really getting to that root cause of looking in the mirror and being able to say, I'm, I, I'm a person of value. And until you can get back to that thing, everything we're doing is a, is a, we're chasing, man. We're just chasing and chasing and chasing. And look around the world, dude, we're spun out and we're exhausted, man. We're exhausted, right? Yeah. And so I'm going to be very vulnerable here and, and share something. I don't think I've ever really shared publicly, like on a, on a podcast like this and let alone my own, right. Is that, you know, I thought I had it all together, you know, even like when I got out of jail and, you know, I beat addiction and I'm mean, I say beat, I mean, I had been in recovery at this point for probably about five, four or five years. Mm-hmm. And I was ripped. I had the body I wanted and I had I was making really good money. I just wrote my first book. I was getting ready to compete in a men's physique competition. I was being, you know, auditioning to become a model. Like all these things that the little young Doug teenager would have thought this is what yeah. determines happiness and fulfillment was having abs and having big arms and making great money and, you know, having women look at you, like all these things, right? Mm-hmm. But inside, I had still not truly seen value for who I was as a person. I still saw myself as the screw up who was in jail for selling drugs. I still saw myself mm-hmm. as the kid that was overweight that you know struggled to find himself in high school. I still found myself as that, that kid inside who was just yearning to pat himself on the back. And so more anxiety came because I was still right. completely disconnected from myself to the point where John, you'll appreciate this. I'm a, I was a personal trainer, obviously. I've been a trainer for you know, almost a decade and I'm a trainer and I'm getting these horrible panic attacks when I exercised. Yep. So here I am. The one thing that had saved me from addiction was, was working out and channeling that negative energy into something positive. Mm. And every time my heart rate would get up, I'd freak out. I'd be like, oh my God, I'm having a panic attack. I'm dying. I mean, yeah, I've been there. Yeah. Right. And it's just this, this golf ball becomes this bowling ball. And then 
this bowling ball becomes this boulder and you got this huge problem you're inside of your head that you're making up that is so far out from what it actually is. And it got so bad that I literally went and saw a cardiologist just to prove to myself that I didn't have heart issues. You did that too? Did that too. Did you point right, yourself? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and we're literally, I'm on a, on a treadmill. He's put me through a stress test and he's like, so what do you do? And he's looking at me and I'm obviously in good shape. He's like, I'm a trainer. He's like, trainer. He's like, what are you doing in here? Mm. And I'm like, I don't know. Like I've been having like crazy panic attacks. My heart rate gets up and I think I'm dying. I think I'm having a heart attack. He's like, okay. He looked at me. He's like, okay. So he puts me on the treadmill and I'm, he's having me like having to have me sprint mm-hmm. on the treadmill to get my heart rate up. And he was like, I've never put the treadmill up this high before ever. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. he's like, I'm just, you're, you're, I'm used to getting like, people in here who have like, horrible heart conditions. And then so he got me off the treadmill. I start like freaking out when my heart rate gets up. I'm like, oh my God, I'm done. I mean, he's like, oh my, he's like, oh my gosh. He's like, you just have really bad anxiety. He was like, this is more on the mental health side of things and the emotional health and it is your physical health. So he puts me on the bed, you know, next to, and has me, you know, ha- watches my heart recover, you know, and he's like, your heart is perfect. He was like, you need to go and, you know, go back to your primary care and tell them, you know, that you have anxiety and panic attacks. And it was from that moment that I was like, wow, like, why is this coming to me? Why am I so stressed out and overwhelmed? And it was because I hadn't really gone back into my childhood and forgiven myself for a lot of the choices I made mm. and looked at the traumatic experiences that either were A, I caused a lot of it, right? And B, that were externally um, put into my life and been at peace with that, mm. giving myself yep. forgiveness, right? So like, yeah, I'll talk about like, what's your response to what I said, just said, is that kind of normal? Because to me, like, most people didn't understand it because they were like, you're getting anxiety when you exercise, like anxiety, like, like lessens my, uh, I mean, exercise lessens my anxiety. So like, I don't know what you're talking about. We will get you back to this episode of the adversity advantage in just one second. But first wanted to give a quick shout out to Danette May and Earth Echo Foods. Danette was a past guest on the podcast and shared her incredible story and how it inspired her to create her products such as Cacao Bliss, which I take every day, either in my coffee or in a smoothie. It starts with 100% organic cacao beans that are naturally kissed by the sun, maintaining its miraculous health benefits. Then it's blended with turmeric, MCT oil, coconut, Himalayan sea salt, cinnamon, and black pepper for the perfect blend to make you feel the best you ever have. The result? Fall in love with a truly decadent, healthy, guilt-free chocolate, removing your cravings, facilitating weight loss, boosting your energy, and reducing your inflammation with one simple drink. Not only that, it is friendly to keto, gluten-free, paleo, vegan, and vegetarian diets. So go to earthechofoods.com forward slash Doug Bobes. Again, earthechofoods.com forward slash Doug Bobes. Check it out for yourself and learn more about the amazing benefits of Cacao Bliss. And when you enter in the promo code Doug at checkout, you'll get 15% off. Now back to the show. Yeah, I see that a lot, which is a common response to addiction is you just trade one addiction for another, Mm. right? And so it looks on the front end, more healthy and more together and everybody cheers you on, right? And then you get that affirmation you've been dying for, but that's not connection, right? Um, I often say around here, um, one of these little slogan-y statements I throw around a lot is communication is not connection, right? You guys love those slogan-y statements, by the way. I think my favorite, by the way, in... um is, uh, you know, make sure you're running with thoroughbreds and not donkeys, I believe. Uh, <laughs> Dude, this is the most slogan-centric place I've ever been. It's, I can only imagine. It's awesome. <laughs> my office, I mean, my desk is right down from Hogan's. And man, that dude is a slogan machine. It's incredible, man. 
But yeah, communication is not connection, right? And so much of us are so desperate for someone to say, you look good. And man, that feels good. But that is not binding us together, right? Mm. Um, that's saying your performance is good. It's just addiction on, into something else and something else. And eventually those connection alarms go off. And so the big reframe for me on anxiety, because I had the same thing, man. I had a PhD. I had a healthy baby boy. I had a great marriage. I had my dream job. And like you say, man, I was went stone mad. And my job was to go get people who were suffering from mental health issues out of that situation and get them to the hospital. And I remember sitting in a situation where I just started laughing, brother. I just started cracking up. I was like, oh man, you're that guy now. And so I wasn't connected to anybody, right? Mm-hmm. I was trying to perform my way through life. So same, same exact thing, man. That's, yeah. that's the idea of the 12 steps, right? Is it till you surrender, man. And I was spiritually broken at that point because I had no relationship with God mm. because, you know, I grew up and I, all I knew is if you're good, you're good, you went to heaven. If you're bad, you went to hell, right? That was the old thing. And I was like, well, I'm on the highway to hell. So screw it. <laughs> What's the point of even like believing in anything else? And also like, I, I was like, you know, if God is about love and God's real, like, why did all this, why did all this stuff happen in me? Yep. Like I would literally, I remember being in jail, my jail cell, like bawling my eyes out. Being like, God, like, why is this happening to me? Like, mm. give me a sign. Like, why? That's, there were so many questions that I wanted answers to. And I never, obviously, you don't really directly get them in that moment. You get them later on. And I remember a client of mine kind of pushing me to go to this non-denominational church. And I was always anti-religion. I still, quote unquote, am against religion, right? For me, it's more about like a relationship. Sure. And and he was like, come on, come to the church with me and, you know, we'll go to Chipotle after. And I'm like, nah, man, I'm like, I'm going to hell for putting you through this workout. Like, that's what I was telling him, right? He was a pastor, you know, and, and finally, after that moment where I had all that, those panic attacks that I shared a few minutes ago, I was like, you know what? I got to try something else. And I just felt this yearning and this calling to do that. And I remember just going into his office one day and you're saying a prayer and just surrendering myself and this monkey, like that backpack came off my back. Mm. Right. And it was the same backpack that came off me when I did drugs. It yeah. was like the freedom, the freedom of like the, the weight and the, the tension on me. And I just remember walking out of church that one day and calling my mom, telling her I was sorry for all the choices and, you know, decisions I made when I was a kid. Cause I was, obvi- I was not a good kid growing up. I made some pretty bad decisions, but it also gave me a sense of purpose, man. And it also taught me that I might not have been proud of everything I did. But God was because now he's using it for the greater good of society. Like I couldn't Mm. make up the fact that my cellmate was the one who helped me get into exercising and using my using fitness to change me. And now I'm helping other people use fitness Mm. to change their lives. Right. And so I believe that that helped me so much. And it gave me not only forgiveness towards others around me, but forgiveness for myself and connection. And patting myself on the back and being like, dude, you've done good. Mm. Like, you know, people are proud of you. But most importantly, I'm proud of you, meaning me. So, you know. So you, you mentioned something that I, I want to make sure that I wrestled with forever. Yeah. And that was decisions that I made when I was 14, 16, 12. They haunted me in way past into my adulthood, right? Right. And then I had this epiphany one day when I was working with young people, with teenagers, and it was like, dude, our society has gotten together and made some rules because your brains don't work yet. 
Like we don't let you drive before this age. We don't let you buy cigarettes and lottery tickets. We don't let you buy beer and guns before these age because your brains don't work yet. And so as a society, as a, as a community, we've all decided, man, we can't hold you accountable for what happens when you have these, mm. these things. And so we're not even going to let you get involved in that stuff yet. And then I had this just light bulb moment like, dude, I was 15. I was a child. <laughs> you know what I mean? Of course. Like, how am I still holding myself on the hook for stuff I did when I was doing things as a child? You know what I mean? So yeah. it's just this freeing, man, it was stupid. I wish I hadn't done some of that stuff. And now it's gone. And now I'm going to let that ride. And that's a different ride than I am now as an old man, right? Yeah. And I think you know, the, one of the things that I've learned in my own experience is your past doesn't have to be your future. Who you were isn't who you are. Is Who you were isn't who you are going to be. And yeah. I think so many pe- times people, they, they think of themselves and they label themselves as a screw up. And it's like, no, you just screwed up. Like that yeah, was it. the last stupid thing you did, man. Yeah. You're not and the like, last stupid thing you did. Yeah. yeah. And using that in a way that's positive because there's two ways to have there's two ways in my opinion to have perspective on that one is that is harp on it and feel sorry for yourself and be the victim and be like you know what like because of this i'm never going to amount to anything like i'm a piece of crap you know whatever else or you can say you know what like i'm not proud of what i did i'm not happy with what i did but what can i learn from it mm. what lessons can i get what blessings can come out of the storm how can i you know rise above this to not only help myself get through it but i'm confident that I'm going for the through. I went through that for a reason, so I can be of service to somebody else, right? Yeah. If you think about, um, you know, we were talking about this earlier. We think about it as a backpack, and you that you carry around with you all day. Some of that stuff you were born into. So somebody, when you were a kid, man, your parents got divorced, and I know it's super common now. That does not diminish what a significant trauma that is for the both people that got divorced, for the kids involved. It is. It is like death, if not worse, because it's death, but people are still walking around, right? And we were just like, yeah, everybody gets divorced. It still wrecks souls, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's somebody just dropped a cinder block in your backpack. And then sexual abuse and physical abuse, someone's just putting bricks in your backpack, right? And then you did stupid crap as a 14-year-old. If you can imagine that as a brick that you write on and you put it back there, the sooner you can come to a to place where you can put your backpack down and start pulling those old bricks out and being like, yeah, I did that. I said that. I thought that was funny back then, et cetera. And I can put it down. Man, it just lightens your load walking forward, right? And it's, it's, it's as literally as easy as stopping and processing those things and saying, that was stupid. That won't happen again. I'm not going to say that again. I'm not going to insult that group of people like that again. The more I carry it on, it doesn't help me, help them. It doesn't help anybody moving forward. Just got to put that stuff down and go, man. Got to put it down and go. You got to put it down and go, man. And you look at somebody like Michael Jordan who's missed you know, tons of shots. He's, you know, had the opportunity to make a game winning shot missed. He was cut from you know, his high school team. He did all these things. Right. Mm-hmm. But he still kept going. Right. He still kept going. He, you know, and that's, I guess in life, that's kind of what happens, right. Is we have the opportunity to look at these setbacks and be like, you know what? Like, I'm not proud of this and I, I'm not happy with how I handled that, but I'm going to learn and I'm going to move forward you know, in a positive way. And the more you do, you're right. The more you keep unpacking that, the, the less the load and the burden becomes on you. And I probably had a, a hundred backpacks I was carrying right between <laughs> right, all the right. stuff I went through. Yeah. But so dude, I, once you got the bricks off, there's freedom. And I think what really was self-soothing for me was sharing my story and just putting it out there. And it's like the whole notion of no weapon formed against me shall prosper, like that whole thing. <laughs> yeah. Like, all right, it's all, all the skeletons are out. Like, come at me. 
right? right. I'm a convicted felon. I, you know, I, and the felony conviction actually is actually off my record. You know, I sold drugs. I stole, I lied. I did this. I did that. Like it's all out there. Yep. Like I, I went into strip clubs when I was in a teenage, like all these things, like I'm not proud of it, but it's out there and it's part of my journey. And the thing that that's really inspiring to me is I feel like I have somebody else's memories inside of me, which mm. is weird. Yeah. And that's when I think you, when you really think you've experienced some transformation, it's when you mm. like, like, wow, like, was that me or was that somebody else? You know what I mean? Well, yeah, you just, yeah, exactly. That's just wisdom. That's what wisdom is, right? When you can get 30,000 feet above yourself and your own situations, your own emotions, your own thoughts, that's wisdom, right? Um, which is a beautiful thing. But what's squatting, right? Squatting is just putting a bunch of weight and then putting it on your back. Mm. So the other beauty about being free from your backpacks is you realize, dude, my legs are jacked. You know what I mean? My back is really strong from carrying that crap around all the time. And now I can use that energy and strength moving forward to go help folks instead of just carrying stuff around. So it's not wasted, right? It's never wasted. Nothing's wasted, right? Right. And I, I love that analogy because you're right. Like, think about how strong people are that go through this. If I look at myself. Yeah, dude. Like the amount of you know, perseverance and adversity that I've had to go through over the last you know, 15 years is not what I would wish on anybody. Right. But at the same time, I'm extremely thankful that I went through it because I look at even some of the challenges even I'm facing now in business or challenges, personally, whatever. I'm like, okay, like I've gotten through all that. I can get through this too. And it, yeah, man. You're limitless now, man. Like you've, you've gotten to mine the soul, the depths of your inner heart, man, and find out I know, I know what my lines are, man. Most people sleepwalk through life and never do that. I, I heard a stat the other day that the two things that people are using to get through the shutdown was like the alcohol sales in this country are off the chart. Like 500%, I think, or something like insane. (laughs) And our uh, medicated spending, just our Amazon clicking. And so we are buying and drinking our way through this last three months, man. And that's a group of people. That's millions and millions of people who have not refused to look in the mirror, dude. They will not get to the depths. And here's the deal, man. At some point, you got to pay that back. At some point, you got to pay the piper on that deal, dude. And so the the quicker and more vigorously we get inside of our hearts and go go spelunking and to find out what we're made of, man, you had the opportunity to do that, right? And now, man, now you're limitless, man. You can just go now. What a gift. Yeah, I'm super blessed, man. I mean, it's definitely not been easy. I feel like there's obviously there comes times like, man, I'm tired. <laughs> I'm tired yeah. of, I'm tired of doing this. I'm tired of, of you know, because it's a fight, right? You're fighting constantly you know, just trying to get better. You're fighting that even like when you're looking back at your past sometimes and you're like, wow, I I can't believe I did that. And you have to know that the only way through is forward. And that having peace and knowing that you're going to fall, you're going to stumble, you're not going to be perfect, but you just keep getting back up. That's what I've done. I've gone through a ton of stuff. I just keep getting back up, keep moving forward. And we talk about connection. That's I was going to say, that's the magic is there is moments for all of us when I can't get back up and that's when you've got a group. That's when you've got people to help you up. Right. And dude, I, I say this all the time. I'm an introvert from Texas, man. I got a lifetime hunting pass. My dad was a homicide SWAT guy at the Houston police department. Like I've grown up around bad dudes and this myth that we can pull ourselves up by ourselves and do our own things. That is a straight up, it's a lie. It's just not real, dude. You got to have other people in your life. And I don't care how tough 
and smart and cool or whatever you think you are, there's going to be moments when you can't get up. And that's why you've got teams that they don't have Navy SEAL. There's not one. They go in units and they go in teams, right? You got to have people to, to hold your arms up in the desert when you're tired, man. And that's what community does. That's what connection does. Now, do you think it's more, is there, is there any like brain, like science behind the brain and what it does for your brain when you're around a community of people? Or is it just something that's just, you've kind of just seen just from experience? Yeah. yeah. I mean, the, the, the myth part is scientific. We co-regulate ourselves, man. Mm. Um, we are, uh, kids especially have no ability to regulate themselves. They do it against other people, right? That's when they grow up in stressful, chaotic homes. ADHD, dude, is not a disease. That's not a brain malfunction. That is your brain doing what it needs to do to protect itself right now. That is what anxiety is. Anxiety is just an alarm system in a house that's on fire. And we spend so much energy trying to turn the alarm off and not addressing the fact that, dude, my house is on fire, man. I know. Look at this this ecosystem I set up for myself. I got no friends. I spend money I don't got. I am trying to get connected by hooking up with a bunch of different... We just create this stupid world. And then we get mad that the alarm's ringing, man. The alarms are working just fine, dude. It's this world we set up. So yeah, the, it's science. And I think it goes all the way back to, man, when you lost your tribe out in the wilderness, mm. you were going to die. Um, and that's it. And I think our brains have developed over time to when you find, they find yourself alone, it sounds the alarms. The most damning statistic I heard was that, uh, when your body recognizes loneliness, the biochemical poison that it pulses through your veins is more damaging than smoking. Really? It, loneliness will kill you. Yeah. Look around, dude. Loneliness is killing us. Um, mm. the, the Journal of Amer- American Medical Association, it's a, that's a, a, a real journal, not an internet journal. The life expectancy in the US went down again for the third straight year. And they're calling it diseases of despair. It's not murder. It's not corona. It's not all these political nonsense. It is suicide, addiction, and organ system failures like heart disease and liver failure, which are, they're called diseases of despair. We are lonelying ourselves to death. Long tail suicide, dude. It's brutal, man. It's horrible. And, and I, I heard you say that, um, you know, earlier that genetic, the, the Brene Brown thing was like genetics are the gun and the environment's the trigger. And I noticed that in my own life. I noticed that I, when I was running around with the wrong crowds, that created this sense of, I say this a lot, sense of normalcy for what my life was. Like I thought it was normal to get high all day. I thought it was normal to talk a certain way. I thought it was normal to not have goals, right? And what ended up happening was I didn't know anything else. Like my goals were, okay, I'm going to die by drug overdose because that was like the quote unquote cool thing to do. Like, I mean, I remember there was, right, like, the, yeah. <laughs> there was like the musicians who died. At, I think they all died at 27. There was that group and I had that poster in my room. Like that was like people I idolized. Right. And then obviously I, went, I got to jail and then I realized, okay, like, the way I was living prior to this obviously wasn't working because my goal in life was to, you know, do drugs until the day I died and sell drugs and do all these things. And here I am incarcerated, crying to God, asking a lot of questions. Right. And then I get out and I'm like, wow, like maybe, maybe people are right. Maybe I do need to check out who I'm surrounding myself with. Mm-hmm. And then what I found is now that I've surrounding myself with people that are like-minded, they're into health, they're goal-oriented, they're trying to you know, make a difference, they, they have some self-awareness, they're continuing to work on themselves, I notice that that's becoming more of who I am too. And when I am feeling down or I'm having rough days, my community is there to kind of help pull me out of the water a little bit. I love right? it. I mean, do yeah. you, I mean, do you agree that like when it comes to 
you know, trying to beat whatever it is or get through some tough times in life that your inner circle and who you have closest to you is extremely important. It's everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's everything. And we are all designed to lean on each other like sticks in a, in a teepee, man. And you pull one of those out, the whole thing falls over. I agree. And, and, and here's the thing. We've, we feel like, you know, we scroll through all day and we've got, a, you know, um, we've got a thousand friends on the internet and nobody to help us move, right? We, we don't have real friends anymore. Um, we've got a lot of pseudo communication partners, but we don't have connected people, man. And yeah, it's this insane drive to be busier and to accomplish and to achieve. And hey, what's up? Look at your pictures. Look at my pictures. And that is not connection, brother. That's mm. not. Yeah, you're right. And I think we have created this environment that we're so concerned with likes and comments and shares and, you know, look at me on social media. It's not real, dude. It's just not real. It's so weird. It's like living in a video game. It's not real. Yeah, and it's not. Uh, and it's and what it's doing is a. It's creating a lot of comparison issues, right? And a lot of a lot more trauma because now you're quote you're getting kind of you're bullying yourself really on social media sometimes when you're like talking down to yourself because you don't have a nicer car, you don't have a nicer house, or whatever. And then it's like limiting our ability to have like deep, meaningful relationships because we're so used to being consumed for our, with our phone. And so as we kind of like, I know we got a few more minutes together. I kind of want to like end in a more like tactical thing. So I want to imagine, I want you to imagine for a second that maybe I'm a client or a listener is a client and I have crazy anxiety, crazy fear right now going on because maybe, you know, I've lost a job or maybe I've, you know, just gone through a, a part, a time in my life where I'm extremely depressed and I'm just extremely like uncertain of what's going to come to me in the next few years. What, what kind of steps should I take? What kind of steps should that person take to kind of make sure they're coming out, you know, a better version of themselves versus the latter and falling in the depths of addiction? I love it, dude. So um, here's a couple of things. Number one, um, the research is pretty clear that you start getting better the day you make a counseling appointment. Mm. And so not even seeing the therapist yet. And so I tell you that to tell you this, you start all of these conversations with number one, a statement to yourself in a mirror. I want to get better and I will get better. That's not, that's one. And number two, if you absent those, you're wasting your time, man. Because if you think, I don't know, dude, that will eventually drag you down. The third thing is you got to look in the mirror and say, I'm a person of value. I'm worth getting better. And if you, if you don't have those three things, dude, it's a waste of your time. Tactically speaking, it's important for me to write down my thoughts mm. first and foremost. So when they start spinning is to write them down. And that's just old school CBT lingo, but it's real quick that you have these, we're just loaded with these automatic thoughts, right? And so like, man, I was late again to work because I suck as an employee. I probably shouldn't even be working here. And right. And then you just end up all the way back down a slide to where you're seven again. And so it's being able to catch yourself with those automatic thoughts. So I'm going to write them down. I'm going to look at them and I'm going to ask myself fact or fiction. And is this real? Am I really a crappy employee? No, dude, I was late again. I need to get that right. But I'm not a bad guy. I'm not evil. I'm not stupid, whatever. We do that in our relationships. We do that at work. We do that everywhere, right? And then the third thing is really protecting and honoring our bodies. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of really remarkable research that's come out in the last few years. Matthew Walker is kind of leading the charge on this. That sleep goes first and then anxiety. It's not the other way around. I thought that I had all this shame and then I got anxiety and then I didn't sleep. And he says, no, brother, it doesn't work that way. You stop sleeping 
And then your brain stops processing things in the ways that it's designed to. And then all the alarms start sounding. And so there are things like sleep and eating well and exercising and taking care of this spaceship that we're on. Um, that's real, real important. And then the fourth and most critical thing is connection. True vulnerable relationships with God, with your community, with yourself. Um, you can't do any of this stuff without true connection, man. It's a waste of time. Awesome, man. And what you just provided there, I, I think is going to save people a lot of time, a lot of energy, a lot of money um, to be able to apply that stuff in their life. Sleep, obviously, is so important. And there's plenty of effective ways to improve your sleep, such as, you know, reducing screen time, you know, drinking some chamomile tea, you know, yeah, reading, yeah. journaling, all that stuff, right? So I know I got to let you go here. I know your time is valuable and I just want to uh, thank awesome. you. It's been a gift, man. Thanks for opening up. And man, you've been an honor for you to to hear your journey, dude. It's, that's, that's a gift that you've been able to turn that corner and now you're out there putting more positive energy on the world, which we desperately need, man. That's awesome. What a gift. Try, man. Just trying to be of service. Just trying to help other people, man. I appreciate what you're doing as well. So where can people find out more about you? Um, just on the interwebs, um, at John Deloney and yeah, that's it, man. At John Deloney on the Instagrams and the YouTubes and all that kind of stuff. And then I co-host the Dave Ramsey show with Dave every Thursday and then with Hogan and Anthony on Fridays and we're having a good time doing that right now. Sweet, man. Well, I love how like human you are. Like, I mean, you're the most human, um, one of the most human people I've met in the mental health space. <laughs> as far as you're just like, it's just like talking to a, to a regular person, which is great because I think a lot of times people, they get intimidated when they're talking to somebody who's like a quote unquote therapist or has a psychology background because they're like, oh gosh, they're going to grill me. So I appreciate the no, gift you man. have. Dude, that's not a gift. I just I have a lot of buddies that uh, wouldn't stand for it, man. <laughs> wouldn't stand for it. Yeah, yeah. Well, cool. I'll make sure to plug all your contact info in the show notes. And once again, John, thank you so much for, for coming on here. And listeners, you know, if you love this episode, you know, please you know, leave us a review. Reach out to John. Reach out to myself and let us know what you think. And we'd love to hear from you. And just please take heed of, of John's advice and yeah. the advice he gave me. It's super important. Make sure that you know, you're trying to apply that. And don't be afraid to ask for help. You know, if, you're, if you're struggling, you're listening to this right now and you're having trouble, please raise your hand, ask for help. And um, look at yourself in the mirror and just believe, believe that you can and will get better. So once again, thank you for listening to this episode of the Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bobst, and we will see you next time.